Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today and take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. All right, y'all, this is episode 99 of Reclaiming the Faith, and this is going to be part two of my Bible study I did with my wife, Stephanie Baker, on the book of Jude. And so we're going to be covering verses 14 to the end today. Please go check out my wife's podcast, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker, as she has a new episode out with Susie Bundy about the power of forgiveness. So please go check that out at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, along with Kurt and BDK, and so much content is being put out almost every day there. So go check out both Omega Frequency YouTube channels, the Omega Frequency and Omega Frequency Live channels to really get fed by all the great teaching that's going on there. Also want to let you know that I'm working very hard on another EP. There's probably going to be a fundraiser for that in the near future so I can get it professionally mixed so it'll sound as good a quality as possible. Uh, Last, I want to turn your attention to a website, The Historic faith.com where you can find so much incredible teaching from the people of scroll publishing being david berceau dean taylor finney curavilla just a bunch of incredible content there and last please if you feel led and you want to give to what i do to reclaim the faith or whatever i've set up a way for you to do that by becoming a patreon subscriber you will have access for $5 or more a month to two different videos, one being a breakdown of an early Christian, early Christian document, and second being an acoustic version of one of my original songs. So please go check that out if you feel led, patreon.com slash Phil S. Baker. All right, well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 99 rolling. So here we go. Let's do a little bit of recap background info on Jude. If uh, you remember, this is Jude, one of the brothers of Jesus, but he doesn't identify himself that way. He says he's the brother of James, um, the oldest younger brother of Jesus. And like James does, like Paul does in Philippians, Jude calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And you remember from last time that one of the prevailing, the, one of the main theories um, about why this book was written is that, and I'm not saying this is the absolute truth, but this is a definite theory, is that Peter, who was in, imprisoned by Nero uh, in Rome and put to death in Rome, just before that time had written a book, a letter called Second Peter, in which Peter believes he's about to be put to death. You can read about that, I believe, in um, in chapter one of Second Peter, and uh, he gives these prophecies of what is going to come in the church, how these false uh, false leaders 
are going to be arising in the church to try to lead the, uh, the people astray. And so then Peter is killed by Nero, uh, according to church tradition. And Jude, therefore, has begun to witness Peter's prophecy coming true. And so this is most likely written somewhere between 65 and 69 AD, where Jude is just saying, guys, remember Peter's letter? Peter was right. This stuff is coming true. And so if he was right about these certain things coming true in our day, he's also going to be right about the coming of the Lord, like he talks about in uh, chapter 3 of Second Peter. And so what you see throughout Jude is Jude quoting verbatim sections from Second Peter and paraphrasing sections from Second Peter and kind of nodding his, his hat to, sec, to certain passages in Second Peter all throughout this letter. All right. And uh, this second part of Jude is, is no exception to, to those truths. So um, we, we hit on, toward the end of last week, a uh, pseudepigraphal book called The Assumption of Moses, or sometimes referred to as The Ascension of Moses. And now we're going to get into a book that was part of the Dead Sea Scrolls called uh, Enoch, uh, or better, First Enoch. And uh, some of these uh, second and third Enochs are spurious. They, are, uh, they have some, some real issues with them. But uh, the early church held Enoch, First Enoch, in high regard. And I'll get into that a little bit. But just wanted to say that before Stephanie reads 14 through 25. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I did. Yeah. All right. So uh, here we go. Stephanie's going to read for us. And this is from the New American Standard. All right. It was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they had done in, un in an ungodly way and of the, all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by flesh. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of the of his holy blameless sorry of his glory blameless with great joy to the one to the only God our savior through Jesus Christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen amen some of y'all may have heard some snoring that was not someone being rude. It's just our dog, Zeke, who has a ginormous head and therefore snores loudly, I guess. Anyway, um, so you, one of the words that you heard over and over, in fact, five times there in those verses was the word ungodly. It's kind of a theme, right? Contrasting the righteous to the wicked, the ungodly to the godly throughout Jude. And um, those first four mentions of ungodly are uh, quotes directly from First Enoch. And so what I wanted to do is just give a little bit of background on what the early church believed about Enoch. And then I want to read y'all most of the first chapter of First Enoch. I'm going to cut a little bit out just for time's sake. But here's basic breakdown on what the early church believed about the book of Enoch. For the first two centuries of the church, more or less, uh, they believed almost entirely that first Enoch was scripture. And then around the turn of the third century, uh, you see them starting to move away from that. Uh, you see a major writer, in fact, the most prolific writer of the early church was Tertullian. And you see him who originally held that Enoch was scripture. You see uh, Tertullian say, well, and now here, here's a paraphrase, basically, while we should hold first Enoch in very high regard, it's not scripture. Okay. So the early church was very well versed with First Enoch, as you can see Jude was. And um, he attributes First Enoch to Enoch. Jude is basically saying that Enoch is responsible for, at the very least, the portion that he quotes from chapter 1 that Enoch was prophesying that. Now, Enoch was almost certainly not writing these words down. This is most likely oral uh, transmission, the stuff getting passed on orally uh, through, through tradition, like Enoch passes it on to Methuselah and Methuselah passes it on to Noah and so on and so forth. The book of First Enoch was probably written down uh, in first or second century BC, um, with it being a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then it, you know, getting copied by that uh, Essene community there in the first century uh, AD. So um, that's just a little bit of background. Now, with that being said, I want to read y'all um, these first. It's going to be nine verses from. Uh, First Enoch chapter one, and this is the R.H. Charles English translation. 
I am going to skip a little bit between verses two and three, but you can read that for yourself. It's not taking away anything from any real points that he's making uh, that are uh, applicable for tonight. But here we go. The words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living, who will be living in the day of tribulation, when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. Now I'm jumping to about halfway through verse three. The holy great one will come forth from his dwelling and the eternal God will tread upon the earth, even on Mount Sinai and appear from his camp and appear in the strength of his might from the heaven of heavens and all shall be smitten with fear and the watchers shall quake and great fear and trembling shall seize them unto the ends of the earth and the high mountains shall be shaken and the hills shall be made low and shall melt like wax before flame and the earth shall be wholly rent in sunder and all that is upon the earth shall perish and there shall be a judgment upon all mankind. But the righteous, he will make peace and will protect the elect and mercy shall be upon them and they shall all belong to God and they shall be prospered and they shall all be blessed and he will help them all and light shall appear unto them and he will make peace with them. And behold, here's what Jude quotes. And behold, he comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to destroy all the ungodly and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness which they have ungodly committed and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Lots of the word all throughout there, right? And a great contrast between the godly and the ungodly, the righteous and the unrighteous. All right. So um, one of the themes that you see there that Jude is saying is that there is going to, to be a judgment and all people are going to be judged. All people. That's what Enoch is saying. That's what Jude is saying. And you remember uh, whoever these false teachers, these uh, ungodly leaders are that Jude has been referring to uh, springs without mist or clouds without mist. uh, These, uh, uh, what does he say? They're almost like hidden rocks in the ocean that cause ships to to run aground or to be broken up and sink, right? Um, these people, whoever they are, whether they're the Sadducees, like I theorized last week or not, they don't really believe that they're going to face the consequences for their actions, all right? Um, I remember uh, my dad when I was young, would be like, suit yourself, but you're going to face the consequences. And I would foolishly you know, think that there weren't going to be consequences, but there are consequences, whether for good or bad, for everything we do. And ultimately, one day, we're going to have to stand before God and be judged. So I want to just read y'all a couple of passages from Scripture that talk. Yeah, I'm sorry. Comments. What's up? Uh, Froggy says, I like the part about snatching them out from the fire. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to really hit on that in a little while because that's a um, 
that's an interesting passage that Jude is referencing from somebody he knows. Yeah. Most likely. And uh, Brian says, Enoch is too much truth for the church. <laughs> well, the Bible is a lot of, is too it's much pretty, truth yeah. for a lot of the modern church today. You don't see very much Bible. You see a lot of talking heads, unfortunately. So let's try not to be one. We're going to try to give you all a whole lot of scripture. So we know God's word doesn't return void, but Phil Baker's often will, you know. So here's uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. And Paul is trying to encourage these people in Thessalonica to remain faithful, even though they're under persecution, even though they are under a fiery trial in many regards. All right. Um, he tells the, the Christians there in Thessalonica, for after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay attention to those words, y'all. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. That is too much truth for a lot of people right there. There are some people that say that Paul, I've, I've heard it said that from, from folks who are kind of in the universalist camp that Paul never talked about hell. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's hard to get around that. Cindy, that was 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10 that he just read. Yeah, thanks for writing in, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate y'all's uh, interaction, comments and questions. That stuff's awesome. So um, here's another passage about judgment. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Now there's, there's debate as to, is this the white great white throne judgment or is this separate? And I think this is separate, but I think this is not so much uh, judgment concerning whether a person, you could say goes to heaven or hell, that kind of a thing, um, but more for Christians where they are being repaid for what they have done in the body, whether good or bad. Um, so a judgment of according to our deeds, you can see a lot of early Christian writing about this. Um, you could maybe think Paul is uh, reference, referencing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he talks about how um, basically our wor works are going to be are kind of analogous to uh, precious metals or wood, hay, and straw, and how that wood, hay, and straw is going to be burned away, but the metal will be refined, basically. Uh, so we'll be saved yet as through fire. Personally, I think that's what Paul is kind of getting at here in 2 Corinthians 5. 
I could be wrong and I'm fine with that. But regardless, kind of like, um, and I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole here. So I, I will not go down this rabbit hole in this particular podcast, though I'm fine to do it or YouTube live and another one. But it's kind of like the way a lot of people view um, eschatology in terms of, do you believe in being raptured before parts of the tribulation or do you believe the church is going to go through parts of the tribulation or all it's better to be prepared to go through it and to be pleasantly surprised than to be banking on getting snatched out before the antichrist shows up it's better to be prepared to withstand and persevere in the face of the antichrist and be pleasantly surprised. In the same way, it's better for us to prepare to stand before the Lord, to face judgment for the things that we've done in the body, whether good or bad, than to think, oh, no, I'm just going to be whisked right into paradise and, you know, not going to face any kind of, any kind of judgment because I'm a believer. You know, it's better to be prepared. Mm. Uh, What's up? What you thinking? Every time you get, you know, that thought crosses my mind, I'm like, oh, man, I don't, I'm not ready for all that. I mean, I, there's so many things I should do differently and I don't know, just hits you hard every now and then. It does. Makes me want to like turn on basketball or take a nap, do something to avoid thinking about it. it, uh, You know, numb it away. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, um something that Jude and Peter are basically saying, and Paul are saying, like, this is something we really need to have in our minds, not to live a life out of fear, but to live a life out of love. Hmm. So let's continue. Uh, we, I reference this word ungodly a lot, right? That Jude uses that word ungodly five times in the passage for today. That word ungodly uh means to lack reverence for what is sacred. It's, it's kind of similar to the word blasphemous, blasphemy uh, or blasphemous, which is uh, way you could think about the definition for blasphemous is treating something holy as if it's common, uh, like treating the name of God, which is holy, as if it's just any old name, mm. right? So I think blasphemy and the word ungodly are very uh, similar. They're not the same, but they have some similarities to them. So here with ungodly, it's just lacking this reverence, not treating what is honor, what, what should be honored with the honor that it's due. And this is particularly speaking to God and God's word. And um, Yeah. Now it's really interesting. One of the first times this word ungodly, I think it's the second time. I don't know that that Paul references it. It's either the first or second time that Paul references it is in the book of Romans. And uh, in Romans chapter five, verse six, this is a pretty interesting statement. You want to read this stuff? This is Romans chapter five, verse six through 10. Okay. For while we were still helpless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So think about all that Jude has said about the ungodly and how when Jesus returns, it is going to be, um, it's, the, it's, it's the end for the ungodly. No more like Second uh, Peter 3 talks about God being patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But when that day comes, when he comes back, the patience has run out. And yet one of the greatest examples of God's patience, God's long suffering is what Paul describes here for that while we were helpless enemies of God, right? Um, Jesus died for us. He died for us. Not, not that we are good. We are the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Who do you think Paul is talking about there? He's talking about everyone. Mm -hmm. So when I know it's, it's, it's really hard not to read that passage in Jude and think about someone that is a jerk that you've interacted with in your life. And you're thinking like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm projecting myself upon you. I'll just talk about myself here. It's hard for me to read that passage in Jude and not think about certain people that, you know, in a, in an, that have done you wrong, that have done me wrong and um, foolishly have a, have a, an emotion, an emotional thought where it's like, God's going to get those guys. God's going to get those ungodly guys. But Paul lumps me right in there with them Mm -hmm. in Romans five, six. And I am in just as big of need of God's mercy as anyone else. And um, one of the things that this passage demonstrates is that at God's core, God is a merciful God. And you see that all throughout scripture, you see it really well demonstrated. I believe it's in um, Exodus 33. Um, It's either 33 or 34 where the people have been um, playing the harlot, basically already uh, engaging in idolatry down at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses is up there interceding for the people. And God calls himself great and awesome God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, long, you know, this mercy aspect, merciful and compassionate God. Um, he's incredibly merciful. And uh, I've referenced this before, but one of the main points, in my opinion, of the parable in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan is that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And we are that person, that Jew on the side of the road, naked and dying. Mm-hmm. 
and at great cost to himself. We who would look at God as our enemy and at someone who is against us at great cost to himself, wraps us up, bandages us up, pays for um, our healing in a sense. In the end, all of that stuff, he is the good Samaritan. God is a merciful God, an incredibly merciful God, way more merciful than we can wrap our minds around. And that's going to be a theme that we're going to come back to as we go through Jude, um, this idea of mercy, uh, how critical it is for us to reflect God's um, characteristic of mercy, how important that is to God. All right. Now, uh, coming back to some harder stuff, uh, you remember one of the last lines from uh, that passage in Enoch is that he's going to convict all the ungodly of the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So it's not just deeds that we've done, but also words. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 12. And I mean, thinking about judgment a lot here. Um, Jesus says, I tell you, Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that every careless word that's, that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. I got to tell you stuff. Um, in this time uh, where we've been back at school, had a lot of frustration and a lot of ungodly words have come out of my mouth in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a, I had a, one of my professors at HBU who's a pastor of a really, really good, good church here in Houston where my parents go. Um, when I was in his homiletics class and he said, when, when you're bumped, you spill what you're filled with. Think about like carrying water and it's filled up to the top around the house and, you know, your dog runs into your leg and you spill that water. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I think I'm doing well, I just need to go look back at my words and be like... Get bumped a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it just takes a little bump, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it should take a lot more, but sometimes it just takes a little bump. And just the careless words, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. It's really, yeah. do you remember that, um, that quote from Chuck DeGroat about people wanting to be a mouthpiece for God? Um, I'm going to paraphrase and I hope I don't get anything wrong, but it was basically saying that uh, ministry is a magnet for narcissists because who else would willingly take on the role of being a spokesperson for God? And um, I mean, not that you have to be a narcissist, but they would glad they have no problem speaking on behalf of God. Yeah. Like I starting in my early twenties when I first started going to HBU, I was like, I had my first Bible class and it filled me with so much hope. Like, this is something I love. I want to, I want to use my words for God for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. you know? 
And then within a couple of years, I'm getting paid to give a couple of sermons and do a couple of Bible studies every week. And that goes on for uh, a decade and a half, basically. And there are a lot of careless words that get spoken. Um, when you're trying to impress people and convince people to come to your church, convince people to be part of your group. And, you know, I can't help but think about James chapter three, verse one, you know, beware those of you who want to be teachers Mm -hmm. or you're going to incur a stricter judgment, judgment. you know, Um, like even right now, what we're doing, it can, it's like a double-edged sword, you know, it can, it can heal like a scalpel or it can destroy and um, got to be really careful. It's what, here's, here's a little bit of inside baseball real quick. Um, in my interview with Phil, uh, I had to cut out a lot of pauses uh, when I would ask Phil a question and I cut out the, the, um, a lot of pauses just to make the episode a little bit shorter and to not make it a little bit, it would seem kind of awkward for some people. And as I was editing, I was like, man, Phil is so wise because he weighs just about every word he says. And so he's really thinking about what God wants him to say. And that might be awkward to listen to in a podcast, but it's incredibly um, convicting and encouraging, uh, inspiring when you're there listening to it. Because Mm -hmm. you're like, man, he really takes this um, calling that he's been given very seriously. And because of that, those words aren't falling to the ground. They're not careless words. Mm. So that's, it's okay to pause when you get an answer for any of y'all out there or when you get a question. Pausing and uh, letting your words be few, I guess, is uh, something I can definitely stand to learn a little bit better. You got anything in your mind? Um, No, I was, I mean, I don't mean to like, compliment you too much. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I was, you were talking about um, wasted words and things like that. But I think that one thing that I, I appreciate and admire that you do is that you have tremendous integrity, at least in my mind. We're um, talking about Patillo, right? Cause that he does. He, he definitely does. But like, you know, your convictions are very strong. And sometimes that, that bothers me because I'm more of a people pleaser. But I could see how somebody with my personality working in a ministry would would be much more easily swayed. And I think it's important to, you know, be firm in what God calls you to and to not allow the opinions of others to sway you. Um, Christine has something, she says, if you're a teacher and that verse in James doesn't scare you, it's time to stop teaching. Mic drop. That's good. Yeah. Don't drop that mic. I'm not going to drop this mic. I'm going to drop the fake one in my hand. Yeah. So let's keep on in Jude. Um, 
Verse 16, Jude says, these are grumblers, these ungodly people. says they're grumblers. They find fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. We talked a lot about grumbling in some of those uh, previous uh, Philippians podcasts. I'd encourage y'all to check out, uh, just read 1 Corinthians 10. Talks a lot about grumbling and that being a reference to some of the stuff that happened there in the book of Numbers, specifically in, in Exodus as well. Uh, finding fault, following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly. Again, here is Jude um, basically quoting and paraphrasing Second Peter. It's amazing how much Jude just pulls right from it. Here's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Um, Continuing in verse 16, it talks about flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Um, that, That made me think of Genesis 3, how manipulative the Nakash, uh, the serpent, the shining one is there in the garden as he's talking to Eve. Oh, you're going to die? Oh, God's holding out on you. You can be like him, right? And he's flattering Eve, not for Eve's sake, but for his own sake. Very interesting stuff going on there. And when you think about this like grumbler, following their own lust, they speak arrogantly. That should take us back to Isaiah 14 in verse 11, where um, God is really exposing Lucifer and demonstrating his fall. It's got those, I think it's five I wills, uh, but you said in, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll back up. All right. Um, verse 11 of Isaiah 14, your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning. Some translations, I believe like the King James says, Lucifer, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. We we wanna follow the right leader. Verse 17, uh, this is Jude 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following their own godly lusts. Again, Jude is pulling straight from Second Peter, this time from chapter 3. Uh, Steph, would you mind reading... 
verses one, right there, one through seven, knowing that uh, he's going to be quoting, Jude's going to be quoting. What's that? <laughs> Amos blowing into the bottom of the keyboard stand, which is hollow. Oh. It was making it sound like a flute. Ridiculous. <laughs> Jude is going to be quoting verse um, three. All right, from Second Peter 3, but we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Yeah, that's right. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days will come will come with their mocking. No, in sorry. the last days, mockers. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Right. The last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the days day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Here's that word again, that ungodly word. And, you know, it's kind of like this ungodly Remember, not treating with reverence things that should be treated with reverence. And it seems like these, these uh, mockers treat God's promises, particularly about his return and judgment, as if, nah, whatever, you know. We're just going to keep on doing what we do and not worry about any of that. Paul says some stuff about the last times, the last days. In First uh, Timothy 3, Paul says, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into the households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's a, that's just, man, that is the exact opposite of what I want for my life. But it's really easy to fall into something like that, especially in this generation where, you know, uh, Daniel says in, the, I believe it's in uh, chapter 12 about how the last days knowledge will increase. Right. Um, so much information is at our fingertips. 
And it's really easy to confuse Christianity with an accumulation of godly knowledge of like Bible trivia. It's easy to confuse that with a knowledge of God. We don't want to always be learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth, the real truth, Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We want to know him and um, grow in his knowledge, the knowledge of him, as we're going to talk about a little bit later. Continuing, Jude 19, Jude says, these are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded, uh, devoid of the spirit kind of reminded me of, uh, oh man, Amos is really trying hard to get on camera for this last episode. <laughs> hey buddy. You want everybody to, to see you? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Thanks. Let's not lick the microphone, Amos. All right. Um, I don't know what his deal is, but he really has been oh. wanting attention for the last like several minutes. He's been trying to get yeah, making sounds yeah. under the... Yeah, <laughs> trying to know. play the flute. Um, gosh, he's he's coming. All right. But you, beloved... <laughs> uh, sorry, what I was going to say is that that passage from Jude 19... Some say we spoil our dogs. These are the ones who cause divisions, <laughs> worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. That reminded me of James 3.15. We're going to have to put him down, Steph. No, uh, that sounds bad. We'll set it? him down. Okay. Not put him down. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't mean kill him. Okay. All right. right. This is hilarious, guys. Yeah. Uh So, all right. uh, Remind me of James 3.15, where James says, this wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural. I can't believe I'm laughing when I'm talking about this. Okay. Really harsh passage. But, gosh. Uh, James 3.15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Do you think he needs to use the restroom? He's like so persistent. I can take it. Do you want to? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So our camera is about to move. Sorry for that. I'll turn it this way and you can turn the table that way. All right. This is what happens. We are not exactly a professional operation here. Uh, sorry for that. But uh, we got to be dog owners for a second. All right. Let me bring this back. Uh, Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. This is a very interesting passage. And I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but we're really going to dive into it. Um, Particularly in um, verse 21. But verse 20, when it says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, it seems like Jude is pulling from one of the last verses in 2 Peter chapter 3 here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. All right. Peter is saying we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're doing that, it will help us to stay on guard from the error and to not be carried away by the error of these unprincipled men who are like tares in a sense, amongst the wheat who are like wolves in sheep's clothing among the sheep, all right? And it'll help us therefore to not fall from our own steadfastness. He also said that one of the ways that we can build ourselves up in the most holy faith is by praying in the Holy Spirit. Um, this, uh, this word praying Uh, Again, we talked about this uh, quite a bit in the Philippians Bible study. There are several different types of words for prayer that are used um, in the Bible. This one is uh, prosukomai, which means an exchange, an exchange of wishes. In a sense, it's literally um, interacting with the Lord by switching your ideas for his ideas as he imparts faith to us. And so you can think about it like a conversation. Think about it. um, Paul talks about this, and I believe it's in Acts chapter 22, when he's described, he's giving a testimony to uh, the Jewish leaders uh, there in Jerusalem. And he's giving his testimony and eventually he gets to the part where He's at the road of Damas- the Damascus Road, and the light comes down. He's blinded, and who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And at one point, so Paul says, "Who are you? And what do you want me to do?" And Jesus tells him that he's going to go to the Gentiles because his own people won't listen to him. And Paul's like, "What are you talking about, God? Like these." All of these people know that I was given orders by the chief priests to destroy the Christians. They all know that. And Paul and God's like, nope, they're not going to listen to you. Go to the Gentiles. It's really interesting, this exchange that happens between Paul and God. And you see Paul trying to wrestle with God, what God is saying, because what God's saying doesn't make sense to him. So he just kind of keeps going back and forth, but he obeys God. He he receives God's wishes for Paul's life and becomes obedient to it. And this is one of the ways that we pray in the Holy Spirit, in a sense, in that we are not trying to give orders to God. We're not just telling him what we want. There is some of that. There's okay. There's room for that in prayer, of course, but it's then letting God's thoughts be spoken to you. And a lot of times his thoughts are, as Isaiah 55 says, so much higher and greater than ours, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above ours. So um, are the, the dogs are downstairs, I'm guessing. I hope the windows are closed so they don't bark like crazy, huh? 
Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kind of nervous about the broadcast. Our dogs are very loud and they have absolutely taken on the role of being like protectors of the house. So uh, whenever I try, try to record stuff, I'll generally bring the big guy Zeke up here with me because if he's a, up here with me, Zeke won't make a peep. They'll go to sleep um, up, up here on the carpet. Anyways, <laughs> let, me, let me continue going. So Jude says, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. It's interesting because later on, he's going to talk about Jesus who is able to keep us from stumbling. Jesus is able to keep us. Earlier in Jude, he says, kept for Jesus at the beginning of Jude, right? Now he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, building ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Let me let my beautiful wife in. All right. She's back. Praise the Lord. Um, sorry. So we're going to get into this idea of keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Let's, let's dive into John 15 first. Okay. Stephanie? I've been talking for a while. Would you mind reading uh, John 15, verse 1 through 10? This is, um, this is Jesus on his last night uh, with, with his apostles. They're there in the upper room. And this is, some people think he's out in the Garden of Gethsemane right now, giving like an analogy of, you know, vines and stuff. But go ahead. I am, is that loud enough? Far away. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather him, they cast him into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Did you catch that? Right toward the end, Jesus himself. Who has better theology than Jesus? 
Yeah. And how does Jesus say we remain or abide in God's love? By obeying his commands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just keep that in mind. We're going to keep on going, okay? This is James 2, starting in verse 8. Now, James has been talking about the poor in chapter 2. He's been talking about those who are poor in this world are rich in faith, and he's really counseling the people that he's writing to to not show partiality, kind of like Jesus talks about uh, toward the end of Matthew 5. If you do good to those who do good to you, what reward do you have? What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that, right? Don't just do good to people that are going to help you out. That's not godly. Um, So here's James kind of talking about similar stuff. Chapter two, verse eight. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all, right? Like when Paul says Christ died for the ungodly, and that's all of us. Verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And there they go, those guard dogs. Now, Consider what James is saying here about keeping the royal law. How do we keep the royal law? By loving our neighbor as ourself. Think back to Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is confronted by a scribe. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That kind of stuff. And Jesus says, you know, the commandments um, or no, no, no. That's the rich young ruler. But he said, um, well, oh, here it is. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to, uh, Jesus puts it at him. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, uh, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right now, Um, Jesus concludes that parable by saying, and now who was a neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? And the scribe does not say the Samaritan because he probably couldn't bring himself to utter the words. He says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's really interesting there that helping the helpless, this act of mercy, right? As you see in the parable of the Good Samaritan, while we were yet helpless, right? Christ died for the ungodly. Helping the helpless 
um, is one of the best definitions of loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, as Jesus is defining this characteristic of mercy, this action of mercy, um, this hurting for someone that so much it hurts you watching someone suffer that you are moved to go do something about it. Um, compassion and mercy working together. And James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty or judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy or mercy triumphs over judgment. This is a theme that you see throughout scripture and Amos is just, do you want me to? No, I mean, you, you make the call. Um, uh, whatever. All right. He's not going to stop. He's not stop. stopping. No. He wants to be up here. Um, Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, no. blessed are the just merciful. The here we go again. All right. <laughs> blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Think about, and we talked about this last week, think about um, the parable of the sheep and the goats. The judgment there in Matthew 25. What is the main action of the sheep? The acts of mercy, helping the helpless, helping people that can't help themselves. They're naked, they're thirsty, they're in prison, um, they're without a home. All of these merciful acts, right? Um, not that they are justified by their actions. But it's almost like their actions uh, prove their justification, you could say. But let's keep going back. Think about um, think about this passage from Ezekiel chapter sixteen in verse forty-nine. This is talking about uh, Judah and Jerusalem, particularly, and how. Uh, they are under siege from the Babylonians. And uh, God says, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. So he's calling Jerusalem part of the family of Sodom. And he says that, um, oh, whoops, golly. I'm so sorry, guys. What'd you do? Um, I turned down my mic instead of. Turning down, I was trying to turn down yours while Amos was panting into the mic. Again, we are clearly a professional organization. All these weeks here. they've laid here like pretty chill. And today and now they're, they're, they're out of their minds. So this is Ezekiel 16, verse 49. He says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw it. Now it's interesting. We know uh, the last action of Sodom and Gomorrah that led to their destruction was them seeking to uh, commit sexual immorality with angels. Um, and yet, here in Ezekiel, God is saying this was the real thing that 
hardened their heart, you could think of, um, you could say, that led them down this very perverted way of, of living. And it started with um, a refusal to demonstrate mercy. And in fact, the opposite of that, the opposite of mercy. Check out uh, Jeremiah chapter seven. Again, kind of similar scene. Um, Jerusalem surrounded by Babylonians. They're coming to sack the city. And I covered this verse several weeks ago when we were in Philippians. But uh, listen to these verses from Jeremiah chapter seven, starting in verse one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all of you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, repent. And I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. And of course, when they are following after these other gods, one of the things that they end up doing is putting their little children into the fire, to Molech and Chemosh, the opposite of mercy, right? Just like oppressing the orphan, oppressing the widow, not practicing justice. Like, And it's interesting that one of the things, one of the main things that God tells these people to do is practice mercy. If they would practice, if they would repent and practice true mercy and not just think that they're secure because they've got, they're in God's temple, then he wouldn't destroy them. Just kind of interesting thing. And what happens right after Jude tells us to um, keep ourselves in the love of God, um, he says, waiting anxiously for the mercy, waiting anxiously on the mercy uh, when the Lord Jesus appears, right? So it's interesting that he connects that word mercy again to keeping ourselves in the love of God. Just something interesting to sit with. And then guess what? He talks about mercy even more. Verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So let's do each one of these like triplets. James has so many of these like pairings of three together throughout his book. So first is have mercy on some who are doubting. But that made me think of immediately 
was Thomas in John chapter 20, right? When Jesus shows up there in the room, uh, resurrected, as the disciples are, they're wrestling with doubt, right? They've been told by Mary Magdalene that he's alive, but they just don't know. Angels have told Peter and God, or Peter and John, that Jesus is alive. They haven't seen him yet. And they're there in the upper room and then suddenly Jesus shows up, right? But one of the apostles isn't there, Thomas. And so when Thomas finally shows up, Jesus is gone and the others are like, man, you missed it, right? The most classic, you missed it of all time, right? And uh, so Thomas is like, man, unless I see... Um, unless I see those imprints in Jesus' hands, I'm able to put my fingers in his, in the imprints of his hands from the nails um, or his wrists, unless I'm able to like put my finger, put my, my hand in his side where he was, he was speared, I'm not going to believe. And then eight days later on Sunday again, um, his disciples are inside, Thomas is with them and Jesus just appears. And he says, peace be with you. And he turns to Thomas and he says, reach here with your finger. See my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Don't keep on being unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Jesus showing mercy to someone who's doubting. Um, then he also says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. That made me think of what his brother James wrote at the end of his letter in James chapter five, verse 19. Steph, you want to read this? Just five nineteen. Yeah. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Right. I mean, it made me think of Galatians chapter six uh, as well. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore such a one uh, with gentleness, um, keeping an eye to yourselves so that you won't be tempted, that whole thing. But like not just letting someone lose their mind in sin, but if you see them going and snatching them out, doing everything you can to help bring them back. And then the last one he says is, is equally interesting, if not more interesting. He says, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And that's just really interesting. Have mercy with fear on some by hating their garments polluted by the flesh. It made me think of 2 Thessalonians 3 4. Oh, sorry, 3.14, where Paul writes, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him, so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. This person's deeds are polluted in a sense. His garments are polluted 
He's refusing to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, like Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians 3, right? But don't regard him as an enemy, rather admonish him as a brother. And so this is a portion of church discipline, which is pretty harsh, but it's designed to save a person. This is an act of mercy, and that's maybe really hard to wrap our minds around sometime, but this is like almost like a last ditch effort. And you can maybe pair this with uh, the last step of church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, where they're putting them out of the church for a while, treating them as a sinner or a tax collector. You'd still reach out to that person uh, to call them to repent. Really want to encourage all to check out the interview with Phil Patillo because yeah. he, he actually references this verse in there in, in part two. This is an act of mercy if it's done correctly, if it's done in a godly way with an eye to ourselves um, so that we won't fall into a similar transgression. We're keeping an attitude of of gentleness along the way while still obeying these teachings of the Lord. Now, verse 24 and 25, we've come to the end. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Remember, James said that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God, right? But here he says, to the one who's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. One thing I would encourage just as a rule, try not to add or take away anything from what a scripture says, okay? Let it just stand on its face. Like in John 10, I believe, where Jesus says no one can snatch one of my sheep out of my hand, right? My father's greater than all. No one can snatch anyone out of his hand. Okay, right? Nothing, no, no outside force is going to cause us to lose our standing with God. That's basically what Jesus is saying there. The devil himself, your mom, your friends, no one can change your relationship can cause you to lose that relationship with, with Jesus. No outside force at all. All right? That's, all it, that's what it's saying. And we don't need to detract from that. And we don't need to add to that. And the same is true here and with all of Scripture. Now, I do believe that Jude uh, is telling us something that Peter told us in 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember he said that we're supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the most holy faith. And now he says, Jesus is able to keep us from stumbling. Peter echoes those same sentiments in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, the book that Jude is telling us you need to pay attention to, I need to pay attention to, we need to pay attention to. Okay, so what I'm going to ask Stephanie to do is read an extremely long passage again. That's a long one. Yeah, but Peter shows how we build ourselves up 
in the most holy faith and how if we do these things, we will, it will keep us from stumbling. You're going to hear this word stumble in verse 10. If we do these things that are building up our faith, we will never stumble and we will be able to find our entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so here we go. There's going to be a lot of repetition as we go through this. So, All right. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the divine knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and for, are... I just want to, for if. Okay. All right. Now you read it perfectly. <laughs> I'm just adding a little bit of okay. emphasis. For if these qualities... For if these qualities are <laughs> yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the, knowledge, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. All right, I just want to read a little bit from Clement of Rome. This is around 95 AD. This is the guy that Paul references in Philippians chapter 4. He became the bishop of Rome. I think he's the fourth from, from Peter. Um, not calling himself a pope or anything like that. I've broken down a lot of stuff on him in a previous Philippians episode. But I just want to read you an excerpt from uh, his letter to the Corinthians. And it's going to show this balance, this, this interesting balance that the church takes between this strong need uh, for godly works and yet that we are saved by grace through faith as well. They hold those together. Um, so he, he, here we go. Since all these things are seen and heard by God, and I'm jumping between, I believe, chapter 12, 13, and 14 in his letter. Since all these things are seen and heard by God, let us fear him and forsake those wicked works that proceed from evil desires. By doing that, 
through his mercy, we may be protected from the judgments to come. For where can any of us flee from his mighty hand? We too, being called by his will in Christ Jesus, are not justified by ourselves, nor are we justified by our own wisdom, understanding, godliness, or works that we have done and holiness of heart. Rather, we are justified by that faith through which, from the beginning, Almighty God has justified all men. So let us therefore earnestly strive to be found in the number of those that wait for him in order that we may share in his promised gifts. But how, beloved, will this be done? It will be done only by the following things. If our understanding is fixed by faith towards God, if we earnestly seek the things that are pleasing and accept and acceptable to him, and if we do the things that are in harmony with his blameless will, and if we follow the way of truth, casting away from us all unrighteousness and iniquity. So you see this, this harmony uh, there, justified by grace through faith, but our, our works need to reflect God's works. This is a lot. Thank y'all for hanging with us. Jude has one more verse, and it is to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. We can kind of understand what Jude is talking about here, but we, we just don't, we can't grasp it. We can't grasp it. As bright as the sun is, being how many millions of miles away from the earth? <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, 80, uh, millions of miles, <laughs> millions of miles away from the earth, and yet you can still get a sunburn. Yeah. If you stare at it for a few seconds, you can destroy your vision, right? And um, his face shines brighter than the sun. Talk about glory and majesty. And we know rulers that have um, authority over vast sums of land. Um, and they just, they don't hold a can candle to his dominion. And we see people that wield quite a bit of power, but they have no power and authority like him. But one day we're all going to see him and we're going to understand this verse. We're all going to stand before God. And it's, it's going to be a great and scary and hopefully very good day for all of us. Yeah. You know? But I think it's something that we really need to spend more time thinking about. I need to spend more time thinking about this stuff. And um, maybe 
looking at Revelation 1, where Jesus' best friend on earth encounters the glorified Jesus, and he falls on his face like a dead man. He's basically having something like an Isaiah 6 experience where he's like, oh, no. You know, the woe is me. Like, that's it. I'm done for. He's not safe, but he's good, right? Just like God, the Lord God, uh, Yahweh Sabaoth, I I guess the the God of the armies, Lord of the angel armies, right? Um, He's not safe, but he's good. And he's very merciful, just like he was toward Isaiah, just like he is toward us. And in light of that great mercy, we need to be very mindful to practice the same. Here I am, you can see that I'm nowhere near where I want to be. But you, you remain so good. And you never change. You love me still in the perfect way. Self-faith.